When it comes to elections, no one really knows what's going to happen this year. Which is why everyone was watching the handful of off-year elections that took place back in November last year. And at the top of that list was the fight for the Virginia State Legislature. Virginia is officially blue. Democrats control both the House and Senate for the first time in more than two decades. So now we have the biggest counties here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I think for a lot of folks. Was this turn of events an indicator of where the American electorate is headed in 2020? Maybe. But one thing that's certain is that this wave of Democratic victories was only made possible because a court struck down Virginia's previous state legislative map, finding that it had been gerrymandered on the basis of race. And now the state's newly elected Democratic majority will be empowered with a big responsibility next year. After the 2020 census, they'll be in charge of redrawing the state's congressional districts for the next decade to come. But let's back up and very simply define just what gerrymandering is. Gerrymandering is the drawing of political districts to gain advantage, either for one person or for a whole political party or to give a disadvantage to a particular racial group. Professor Sam Wang is the founder and director of the Princeton Gerrymandering Project. They not only study partisan gerrymandering, they also look for ways to eliminate it. If one steps away from the partisanship, gerrymandering is an offense in which voters end up having no say over who represents them. And that's fundamentally against uh, the democratic principles of our republic. And it's come to the point, right, where like at the federal level, there's, I mean, a handful, maybe a couple dozen of districts in the U.S. House that are in any way competitive each cycle, right? That's right. That's right. Very few competitive districts. It's a situation in which politicians pick their voters instead of the other way around. It's become commonplace to talk about how divided our political climate is right now. But while the presidential election and other marquee races capture the spotlight, it's state legislators in 2021 who will be actually drawing the literal divisions that decide where we vote and who represents us. And trying to change that process is a project that has attracted high-profile names from across the political spectrum, from Arnold Schwarzenegger and John Kasich to Barack Obama and Eric Holder. So in this episode, Professor Wang gives us a lesson on how gerrymandering works in the 21st century and how he's using big data to start pushing back. Okay, hold on for a second. I'm just starting my laptop so that I'm not going to be distracted by it. I, there's a dim chance I'm going to need facts while we talk. From St. Louis Public Radio and me, Gabe Fleischer, this is Wake Up to Politics. In some respects, gerrymandering is so ingrained in the broader American political system that it's almost hard to imagine what elections would look like without them. Although, it's worth clarifying that the practice was named after a Gary, not a Jerry. Uh, And then it got its name, gerrymandering, in 1812 when Massachusetts legislators passed a plan and uh, and ran it by Governor Elbridge Gary, and he signed it, and then he got stuck with, uh, with the name Gerrymander. But this now ubiquitous tactic to tilt the scales actually started out as a political failure. It worked for one election, and then then um, it failed the very next year in 1813. Uh, public opinion in Massachusetts swung massively against the War of 1812. It was uh, it was a disaster for the majority party because they uh, uh, they favored the War of 1812, and that and that war didn't go very well. Nevertheless, generations later, politicians of both parties have perfected gerrymandering into a political art form. Districts were drawn by hand on a piece of paper, and they didn't even split up counties very much. Think about how hard it would have been to draw a map that would engineer your victory before the days of computers or tablets. 
When Elbridge Gary's Democratic-Republican Party was doing it, all they had was pen, paper, and a whole lot of guesswork. Now political parties have much more than that at their disposal. In the last 20 years, it's become possible to um, to draw maps by computer so that you can adjust lines easily without using a piece of paper. Uh, and so that makes it possible to draw, say, dozens of plans um, uh, in short order. And the process is getting even more sophisticated. Another piece of technology is the availability of voting data. And so um, when voting data is tabulated at a precinct by precinct level, it's possible to predict how a hypothetical district would perform by knowing how it's performed in the past. And so that, uh, that precinct by precinct voting data, uh, also other things like census data, can be combined with the computer um, tools to draw a district to order. And there's, there's software uh, that costs thousands of dollars that's used by legislators. And there's data that's uh, not generally not publicly available uh, that is available to legislators to do their dirty work. And in Professor Wang's words, the best way to describe the people doing this dirty work are often just tech nerds who are committed to the craft of political cartography. If you step away from the ways in which democracy gets damaged by gerrymandering, this is a tech community that, you know, they, they're good at what they do. They admire the artistry of gerrymandering sometimes. And so if they're able to step away from that, they, they will actually often just admire on technical grounds the quality of somebody's work. Uh, so it's a community of people who are able to draw maps. Some of them are committed to drawing fair maps. Others are committed to drawing, you know, maps that are favorable to their side. Um, there is a community, and actually there's a growing community of tech nerds who do it just as a hobby. I got to say, if you go on, well, everyone uses Twitter for different things, but when I use Twitter, a big component of my Twitter feed is election nerds who draw their own maps. And so there's armies of people out there who, who just enjoy drawing maps. It's, it's not unlike... You know, it's not any different from, I don't know, a community of people who like Magic the Gathering or something like that. Now, let's break down the two main ways voting districts are gerrymandered to benefit a party that holds power. Technique number one is called cracking. That's when a party in power draws districts to spread out the opposition, cracking the opposition into smaller pieces. As a result, the opposition party has support in many districts, but not enough to pose a significant challenge to the party in power. And so I'm going to take you, I'm going to split your community among two or three different congressional districts. Now there aren't enough of you to elect uh, a member of Congress anywhere. You've now been cracked so that you have very, uh, very little power. That brings us to technique number two. It's called packing. Unlike cracking, the party in power packs a handful of districts with voters likely to choose the opposition. Let's say Gabe Fleischer runs for Congress and I give you a district in Missouri that's 60-40 uh, that's for your party, uh, then you're pretty safe because public opinion doesn't move too much and a 60-40 district is pretty safe. By doing this, you may be giving up a few wins, but you make sure you have the most wins and you win those seats without a sweat because all your opposition has been packed into those other districts. In addition to being used to gerrymander voters along partisan lines, this technique has also been used to divide voters racially, as in this example set out by Professor Wang. Up until a few years ago, North Carolina had what was known as the I-85 district, which is a congressional district that was so snaky and narrow. It was designed to uh, pack African-American voters who live near the highway. It was designed to pack them in such a way that you could drive down I-85, and it was said as a joke that you could drive down the highway, open up both doors of your car, 
uh, and basically meet all your constituents. <laughs> and, so, and so that's an example of a pretty strange district. Uh, so that's a gerrymander. Uh, that was actually struck down on racial grounds, and it was replaced by a prettier set of districts. And the prettier set of districts in North Carolina doesn't have as much of that snakiness but the lines are drawn in a really artful way to go down the middles of cities in some places, to encircle cities in other places. Uh, and that much prettier map still elects 10 Republicans, three Democrats, despite the 50-50 split. So, uh, so shape you know, is an index of uh, weirdness, um, but it's not the only way, especially with modern technology. So gerrymandering has become much harder to see. And the process keeps getting more and more sophisticated. So is the notion of any competitive election soon to be a thing of the past? Not if Professor Wang has anything to say about it, because he's using the same tools used to divide the American electorate to try to bring it back together. Before the break, we are talking about the community of tech nerds being hired by political parties to advance partisan gerrymandering. But luckily, there's nerds on the other side, too. Technology isn't only being used to weaponize gerrymandering, it's also being used to fight it. At the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, Professor Wang and his team have been looking for ways to prove to courts that redistricted maps are gerrymandered for partisan gain. Here are a couple of examples for how they're using data to, quite literally, make their case. We'll start with the lopsided average test. If one side's average wins are, say, 60%, and the other side's average wins are 80%, then the side that uh, has 80% wins is likely to be packed into fewer districts. And so they have fewer opportunities to elect members of their liking. Uh, those voters are packed into a few districts. And so comparing average wins on one side and average wins on the other side is a way of telling whether there's some kind of asymmetry, some skew to how the two parties are treated. So that's a simple measure of, uh, of, of um, partisan advantage. Mm -hmm. Another measure tests for partisan bias by comparing to a state's median district. Professor Wang uses Pennsylvania as an example. There is a state where uh, in one election the average vote was 50% Democrat, 50% Republican. But the median district, so if you take all the districts from most Democratic to most Republican and put them in order and say, what's the middle district? The middle district was 57% Republican. So that middle district, uh, it's actually halfway between the ninth and the 10th most Democratic district because there's an even number of districts. That median district is 7% more Republican than the state average on a whole. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got a situation where the median is skewed in one direction compared with the average. And it's kind of like Garrison Keillor used to say on a Prairie Home Companion. Uh, he used to say that uh, a place where all the kids were above average, it's possible to build a statewide map where most of the districts are above average for one side and not the other. And so comparing the mean and the median, or rather the average and the median, uh, is, a, is a simple way to tell whether there, there might be a gerrymander. But just as Professor Wang and his team were starting to make progress, turning complicated statistics into legal arguments against gerrymandering, they ran up against a major roadblock last June. In a 5-4 to four decision, the Supreme Court ruled that federal courts could not decide if election maps were drawn to favor a single party. Basically, uh, the court's saying here that the courts have no role to play, but that and that means political that parties can manipulate lines to entrench their power for decades to come, because of course you're always building off the old maps. That's not permissible. 
What the court said today is partisan gerrymandering can create bad outcomes. It can make it feel like it's not fair to voters, but we don't have a role to play here. So what the Supreme Court said, and this was not a particularly surprise. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, decided to hang back and wuss out and not, uh, not participate in, uh, in striking down partisan gerrymandering. But they did say in their decision that, that it was still possible to do this on a state-by-state level. So with the Supreme Court out of the picture, and any action from the U.S. Congress on the issue unlikely, the fight is kicked back down to the states. And some of them are trying to take action to reduce partisan gerrymandering. Let's walk through how some states are trying to limit partisan gerrymandering. And for the sake of clarity, I'll only be talking about reforms that address federal elections. California and Michigan have commissions made up of average citizens from across the political spectrum that are in charge of drawing district maps. Seven other states empower other types of bipartisan commissions made up of judges or politicians. And Iowa has a nonpartisan staff in charge of redistricting congressional maps. A number of other states have advisory commissions that can recommend how maps are drawn. But state legislators still have the final say. So for now, in the vast majority of states, how a state's congressional districts are drawn simply comes down to the partisan makeup of that state's legislature. And remember, those legislators often arrive at their state houses as a result of partisan gerrymandered state legislative maps as well. So, now what? What we're really working on now at Princeton, and, and, and others around the nation are working on it too, um, is building open data and helping people get open software so that not just legislators have access to these, access to these tools, but everyone does. And when everyone has access to these tools, then it's possible for citizens to weigh in and to see these offenses as they occur and to, uh, and to, to basically weigh in in real time so that legislators can't do their dirty work behind closed doors. So that's a big thing we're doing right now. We're super excited about it. And so, uh, so it's a pretty big project. Uh, it requires a big community of nerds. And, uh, and we're, you know, we're moving ahead on that. In this community of nerds, as Professor Wang likes to call them, is building a tool called Open Precincts. It will be free and open to the public. And it will blend the same kind of tools and databases that are usually only available to highly paid political consultants. Redistricting has been an activity for the few and that by making the information public, it opens up a process to the many and finds more and more ways for citizens to not be victimized by the process. Which takes us back to Virginia. It's going to be one of the most highly watched states as the redistricting process gears up again next year. State Democrats backed a nonpartisan redistricting commission when they were in the minority. It was one of the most comprehensive reform initiatives any state has passed to address federal gerrymandering and it was the first time legislators themselves had surrendered redistricting power instead of voters making the change through direct ballot initiatives. But now that the Democrats are back in the majority, some have already begun to waver on the reform package and are discussing opposing it when it comes back to them for a final vote to officially amend the state's constitution. Will they live up to their calls for fairness in redistricting or just revert back to helping their own side? In many ways, it's a continuation of a push and pull that has gone on in this country since the days of Elbridge Gerry, almost like a bug in our constitutional framework that we can't seem to exterminate. I think of gerrymandering in some sense as an engineering failure. So in any engineered system, like let's say you're trying to heat your house, you turn on the heat 
And, you know, if you build a fire, I think everybody knows if you build a fire, it's possible that the, the house gets too hot and then you have to open a window. Thermostats let you set the heat and then it automatically turns off. So in some sense, there's this engineering concept of feedback where feedback can keep a system from running out of control. Gerrymandering is an offense where legislators draw the lines, get themselves into power, and then they can stay in power long enough to draw lines again. And so that's an example where the feedback runs away and it's just positive feedback in a closed cycle over and over and over again. And there's no way to break that cycle of feedback. So reform consists of finding ways to break that cycle. So maybe reform is making sure the governor is of the opposite party as the legislature. Maybe reform is implementing a uh, commission so that the commission does it instead of the legislators. Maybe uh, feedback comes in the form of citizens who can watch the process and, uh, and make a loud noise if something happens that doesn't serve uh, their communities. So the game is gerrymandering is uh, a form of runaway feedback in the engineering sense, uh, and uh, reform consists of finding ways to break that feedback. If you want to hear more from Professor Sam Wang, you can listen to his podcast, Politics and Polls, from Princeton University. The Wake Up to Politics podcast is produced by me, Gabe Fleischer, and Tib Lloyd, senior producer of On Demand and Content Partnerships at St. Louis Public Radio. And you can get the latest political news and analysis in your inbox every weekday morning by subscribing to my newsletter at wakeuptopolitics.com. This show is produced at St. Louis Public Radio. And if you care about the kind of analysis I provide and the kind of analysis public radio provides, consider donating at stlpublicradio.org.